I'll tell you. I had. Yes, yes, we could. But. It's a mess. This is the word of God for the Pause just for a second. I'm going to go turn the camera on. But also, while we're pausing for a moment, I want you to try to paint a picture in your mind of, of what was just read and described. I love it as a title. 
And so I came home and I was real excited to tell her, and she was like, that makes no sense. Why would you want to call this digging out bones? And I said, no, it's perfect. I said, because this is a book of the Bible that we can ask ourselves, why in the world would we open to these pages? Why would these pages be included in our Bible? First of all, it's difficult reading. And so a lot of times, what I like to do with difficult reading is I like to set outside. I'll get to that later. Let me go to something more simple. So it's difficult. Second of all, it is, uh, in fact, it's so difficult that in ancient tradition, going way back, where we have some writings from uh, what was going on with, with church family and church culture, in some places, like they would have guidelines for who could read certain books. And when they got to Ezekiel, there are notes that say, this should only be read by men of the church age 30 and above. So you had to be 30 years old and a male to get it. Everybody else, just wouldn't, don't even try. And I know that sexism and ageism and all those things, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. So it is, it is some difficult reading because it's in lots of different styles that we use. Uh, and not to mention we're getting it translated from one language to the other. But he's using poetry and prose. You can't envision trying to describe it. And so it's just hard. But that's not even why the reason, that's not even a good reason to think about not going after it because that's not the only book in the Bible that is like that. And that's it. So another reason, like, why in the world would be Read a book that's coming from such a dark place. This is a dark time in terms of the history of the people of God. This book is, he is working and being a prophet and a priest in a time of uh, terrible memories in terms of the people of God. This is the exile period that we'll get to in just a moment. And so this is when Jerusalem has been invaded. This is when they've been some of them have been taken away, and this is when uh, warning them of war is to come, and so it's just a bad, bad thing. It's, it's God being mad at the people, saying these are all the things you've done wrong. So why would we want to dig up those bones when we have much happier times and happier books in the Bible? We just have time. So when I got to that part, Pastor was yeah, that works. Digging up bones. So what we're going to do over the next. Um, few weeks is we're going to dig up some of these bones from a very difficult book and a very dark book at times, but also very exciting and very rewarding uh, for when we get to spend some time with it. It's a very strange book. Ezekiel's a very strange man. Next week when we gather, we're going to see and hear and read about some really, really crazy things he does, like making a campfire food over a human waste. He's trying to make a point, but it's a strange way to make a point. So anyway, I have a couple slides to help us get started tonight uh, with this sequel. This is uh, hopefully helpful. There's a couple things that help us figure out what's going on here with these deeds. And so again, I mentioned, uh, so Jerusalem is in Judah. Um, in what we 
think of as Israel today, but Israel was the northern kingdom, which was already destroyed. Israel, or uh, Judah was left. Jerusalem, then Judah. Ezekiel was living in Jerusalem. And they went through a period of time, and this is the only date really to remember, and this is just to give you a reference, because there's lots of dates that we can talk about. Just to give everybody a reference of what we're talking about, this is 2018. This is 587 B.C. Just, and, and there's things that happened before that that are important, and things that happened after. But just to, if you want to memorize, if you're the type of person that wants to impress people at a dinner party, 587 is the, is the date. Uh, these next few slides are not exactly 587, but it gives you a reference. 587 years before Christ. Uh, so 600 years before Christ. So what happens is, and Judah is a very small geographic place, just as Israel is today, and very small politically as well, yet all these big players fight over it. Does that sound familiar? Today, right? It's exactly the same. Nothing's changed. And so three big players fight over and take control of Jerusalem in and around this time period that we're talking about. The first people that are in charge of Israel, or Judah, is uh, the uh, Assyrians. Then it's the Babylonians, which we're going to talk about here. And then some things are going to shift and change for the good when the Persians take over. Syrians, Babylonians, Persians, all big empowers that are worried about this little old place we think of as Israel today, which was Judah, biblical time. And so that's something, first of all, just to pause for a second and think about, wow, you know, why, why are they digging up bones from, for such a small place, geographically and, and politically? And so, this, so, so Ezekiel is a prophet by calling, and so the Lord is going to call him to speak here in just a moment. He's also a priest by lineage. So he's born into the priestly family. Um, and at, you know, what we learn and know about the history of the priesthood is it was actually about age 30. So I guess that's where those ancients, where you would, he would have been sworn in as priest. He would have been blessed as a priest. And it hasn't quite happened yet. We'll get to that in just a second. So what happens is when the Babylonians this is the, when the Babylonians attack Jerusalem, it begins this period of time we call the exile. But they don't take away everybody. So some families are left behind to, to, to do the work of the city, and, and everybody's you know lots of people are left behind. But they do certainly take away all the prophets and priests and leaders and kings and princes and anybody that could stay back behind and cause problems. So they leave the people that they take the troublemakers away. And so Ezekiel was part of that. Right? So he's been he had gone. When this book starts, he's been gone for five years. Alright? And his thirtieth go to the next slide. So his thirtieth birthday is arrived at people's birthday came there. <laughs> And he likes to hang out down by the river. This is oversimplifying to get to the point where we are right now with that long pattern. So he likes to hang out down by the river. Uh, and he's in 
the Babylonian Empire right now, and he's actually in a in what we would call modern day Iraq. So he's in Iraq, and down by the river, um, and he's hanging out there every day. And it's his thirtieth birthday, and he's feeling bad about himself, um, as you can see. And then he starts to see this vision this particular day. So it's not the first day he's hung out down by the river, but it's the day that he would actually have been, if he was back in Jerusalem, he would have been consecrated as a priest. We go to the next slide. And so, this is a, this is actually from a place, the slide I didn't make, it's from um, the Bible Project, Google Bible Project, it's a pretty deep thing. Um, and anyway, so this is the artist, their interpretation of what we just read. And so that's the chariot there with the wheels and the faces and the human form that's, being, that's on top of, of that. And, and so this is where Ezekiel sees that. So he's down, feeling bad about himself on his birthday, having a cake by himself. And he's in this moment, and he sees this um, this the Lord's chariot. And so... You don't say out loud, but when we were reading that, and maybe it was the first time you've heard this chapter one read, maybe not, did you get the sense that he was seeing a vision of the Lord? I mean, did you pick that up pretty easily that by the time, he pretty much says it, that it's the Lord. It's the Lord's glory that he sees. All right? And so, it's a vision. So he is seeing a vision, and he's trying to describe it to us. And uh, that's, that's where we are. Uh, and so then we have uh, this this great line where he says at the end, this was how the form of the Lord's glory appeared. When I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the sound of someone speaking. Uh, is there another slide? More like that. Mm-hmm. There's three more. All right, go to the next one. Let's see what we got. Oh, yeah, that's just another uh, picture, uh, close-up picture of, of, the, of the artist on the Bible project. That's the last one? No, there's oh, one next. more. All right, go back. We have to practice this presentation. <laughs> All right, so, so, that's, so as he's sitting here and he sees the glory of the Lord, um, and he names it, a good place for us to stop for a second is the, the word, the English word glory, here in this verse, the last verse of our passage, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So he sees, he actually sees this, he can hardly, he has to kneel down and bow down, it's so glorious. And it's a word uh, in the Hebrew that we see other places, like, uh, you know, when Moses tries to describe the glory of the Lord. And actually the Hebrew word is kabod, K-A-B-O-D in, in English, or our alphabet, kabod, which actually means heavy. And so just think about that for a minute, is that what he's receiving in this vision is glorious, yeah, that's why we translate it glory. But it's also just heavy. And think of it the way we use the word heavy. I mean, certainly that would be a heavy thing to be lifted to the ground, but not that kind of heavy. But just what he is now going, what he's going to have before him is a very heavy job to do. 
And in fact, most all, if not all, the prophets in the Old Testament, every time God commissions them and says, Steve, I have a job for you to do. I want you to go tell the king he's wrong. Or Elaine, hey, guess what? Go tell all the people the way they're living their work life is all messed up and they need to be more like you. None of these prophets want to do that. Because they can't see an outcome that's going to work out in their favor. They're either going to get stoned to death or whatever. It's just a heavy. And so it's a heaviness. And so, uh, so it's glorious, yes, because the, God's presence is just like fire and wind here, just like we see in Pentecost. But it's also a heavy duty that he's getting ready to embark on. And then, in fact, our passage ends with, I heard the sound of someone speaking. And so then, uh, go to the next slide, in the very next chapter, he is going to be commissioned by God. So God's going to speak uh, to Ezekiel. He's going to hear him now very clearly. And he's going to say, Son of man, I want you to go to the people there in exile, including the, the you know, all the important people that are there, and accuse Israel of breaking the covenant and warn them of intimate destruction. You can see at this point, they've been removed from the city, but the city hasn't been destroyed. Alright? And so that's so he, so basically what he has to go tell the people in exile that have been taken from their property and their land and their way of life has been upended already. He's got to go to them and say, hey, guess what? Last couple years have been pretty bad, and I know you miss your farm at home, but you haven't seen anything yet. Actually, everything we know at home is about to be destroyed. And so, if you're thinking about, hey, next month we might get to go home and I get to move back in my own bed and sleep in my own bed, uh, that's not happening. And things are going to get a whole lot worse. And then on top of that, it's going to get worse. Yeah, that's bad, but it's your fault. And oh, by the way, all this is because God's mad at you. Have a great day. See ya. <laughs> and so, that, so now we can really understand that. I mean, I have cold chills when I said that. Laugh, but it's like, it's heavy. He's got a heavy job. And so it's heavy, and what he's going to say, and we're going to discover the crazy and strange ways he says it in the coming chapters, and tries to get his point across on behalf of God to the people uh, is very heavy, it's very dark, it's going to be very strange, and it's going to be words of destruction, basically, and the walls of Jerusalem are going to come crumbling down, and if you ever do get to go home, you're going home to a desolate place, a crumbled foundation of a place, and then so the saving grace and the question we're going to ask is why dig up all this stuff? Why do we want to read this? Where where is you know we all we like talking about the grace and love and 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 future hope of God. So where why are we going to read this? Why are we digging up? Where is the Lord in this? Where is God in this? Is this is our God a God of destruction and a God of, of judgment but no hope? And so Ezekiel is going to help us see that. And in fact, in this very first chapter, he gives us a clue. What's the clue? What's the clue of where the Lord is? What's the clue of hope here? Anybody want to take a shot at it? 
What is the foreshadowing here? What's the answer to where is the Lord? Is the Lord solely in the temple that's about to be destroyed? No. Where is the Lord? Right. He, 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 go back to go back to one of the chariot slides. So this whole vision of the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is mobile. The glory of the Lord is wherever we go. The glory of the Lord is not confined to the temple that's going to come crumbling down. And so already, without saying anything about the future hope, and he's going to talk about hope when we get to the third or fourth week, fifth week especially. Uh, but right now, even in the midst of being charged with this heavy duty to say things are going to get worse, it's your fault, God's mad at you because of your behavior, and you put your trust in other people other than the Lord, there's still hope. Even though you're going to hear that the temple is being destroyed and the walls will come crumbling down, there's still hope. And the hope is that God can go anywhere God wants. God is mobile, God is glorious, and God can be with us wherever we call home. And so, he's already starting, Ezekiel is, to give us a word of hope. Even as he's just getting warmed up and speaking a word of warning and destruction. All along the way, each time we visit the Ezekiel, the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear hints of where the Lord is, even in the midst of these dying, dirty, dry bones that we're going to be digging up. And so let us pray. Gracious God, we are thankful that sometimes we do have to go deep depths of pain and despair and destruction and even death to be able to get a glimpse of hope. Lord, we try to box you in. We try to keep you safe. We try to keep you in comfortable places. But you are a God on the move and we need to be reminded of that. You are present with us wherever we go. We need to be reminded of that. Lord, when we are at our lowest point, you are there with us, and we need to be reminded of that. Open our ears and hearts and minds to uh, this prophetic word, not just tonight, but in the nights to come, in order that we can hear this glorious book, filled with heavy words, but underlined in hope and love and forgiveness and patience of God. And not only did he give to Ezekiel and his temporary family, but to us today. And for that, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 We're going to pause now and have communion together.